there was a guy named Charlie. Um, I don't know what was in the water at Charlie's house, um, but Charlie was was like six foot two in the fourth grade, or 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 maybe eight foot two. I'm not sure. He is a big guy. I'm fairly certain that Charlie outweighed what I weigh now in the fourth grade. He was one of those guys that when he would walk around, you know, the ground would shake a little bit. You know, he was convinced of it, and so were the rest of us. You know, and for a brief period of time, uh, happily, this is a brief period of time before Charlie got bored of the game and moved on. Recess was really awful for me in the fourth grade. Because I wasn't getting the water from Charlie's house, right? So in the fourth grade, I was a pretty little guy. Also in the fourth grade, my family life was falling apart. So I was a pretty broken little guy. Afraid of just about everything. And giants are always scary. Especially a giant who's willing to hit you. So, I didn't like going to school. And I didn't like Charlie. You know, in my mind and heart, Charlie ended up with a little room that was just his. You know, a place that... that and, and actually, it got bigger the more days that that went on. I'm pretty sure it didn't go on very long. Um, but when you're in the fourth grade, you know, a week is like, you remember how far away Christmas is when you're in the fourth grade? You know, it can be December 5th, and it's still like six eternities away. So, you know, and it was at least a couple of weeks that I lived through Charlie's attention. A day would happen when we'd go out on recess, and Charlie uh, wouldn't, wouldn't pay attention to me. And I'd think, maybe it's over, and then the next day would come. My arm would be up behind my back again. Uh, and he made me cry several times. And in the fourth grade, you're old enough that you're like, I don't want to cry in front of my friends. It's pretty miserable. And so like I said, Charlie occupied a big part of my heart. But it wasn't a very friendly part. You know what I mean? You ever been there where you're, you ever have a Charlie in your life? Somebody that you wish would just go away. Charlie is a bit like a horse in size and, and, and also a Charlie horse. Because he's a pain that hurts and makes you feel less than. Makes you feel broken and hurting and afraid. You ever have an enemy? We grow up, but in some ways, I don't know if we ever grow beyond the kind of situation where we're afraid of somebody who can hurt us. And maybe, you know, in, in the fourth grade, if you get a dust up, you know, that's age appropriate. If you're 40 and you've got dust flying and you're pulling each other's hair, something has gone badly wrong, right? You know, with, with your, if you're getting into fist fights. You know, and you're, you're much past about 38. You know, younger than 38, I'll give you a break. But, you know, <laughs> but we learn to throw punches with our tongues, don't we? 
Or maybe through more devious means where we undermine one another and we hurt each other and we diminish one another and we attack each other. Maybe we shout at each other, but we run into that Charlie phenomenon again and again. Anybody else got a Charlie in their life? Maybe you don't right now, but give it a while. You know, I, as, a, as a fourth grader, I don't think I really deserved what was happening to me with Charlie. But since I've grown older, I've run into situations where I've produced enemies. You know, and I, I played a big part in that other person not liking me very much. You ever been there? You know, I heard a saying once that said, love your enemies, you made them. Uh, you know, and... And very often the other person doesn't like us because we haven't been all that likable. But having somebody else in our life who's willing to throw their weight around. Ever been there? I think the hardest time is when it's somebody you can't get away from, like a sibling or something. Or a parent. You know, or or a spouse. You ever run into that? Is it, is it hard to care what happens to that person? When I was being rolled in the dust, because there was no rolling Charlie. You know, when I was being rolled over and over in the dust, there were times when I wished that I, I didn't care what happened to him. I just wanted him to go away. And if that meant that a dog got him, fine, or a bus, Whatever as long as there wasn't a Charlie in my life. It was really easy to wish harm on Charlie. Like I said, I'm not sure how much... We get bigger, and we get more sophisticated in the kind of punches we throw, but do we ever really grow out of that? When you run into somebody who's trying to hurt you, what do you do with that? Well, everybody knows what you do with that. If you're smaller, you run. And if you're as big, then you fight back. And if you're bigger, you crush. Everyone knows what you do with an enemy. Until you sit down on the mountainside with this weird Jewish rabbi who says such strange, strange things. The last several weeks, we've been climbing the mountain to listen to the sermon that's going on there. Coming to the Lord again and again to have that brokenness inside of our heart confronted. And for today, I hear the weirdest thing I think that He says the whole time. I think of all the things that Jesus ever says or does, this is, I think, the greatest proof of His divinity. Walking on water is pretty impressive. The ability to shut off a storm, that's a big deal. And the ability to heal with a touch or even to raise the dead, that's amazing. But I don't think He ever shows us the wonder of His divinity like He does when He says, love your enemies. Because whatever I might have wished for Charlie, it all had to do with Charlie leaving me alone. It never occurred to me to think that it's not just the water that's strange in Charlie's house until I was much, much older. It never occurred to me to wonder why is it that Charlie feels like he has to throw his weight around. 
Why is he a bully and not a defender? Why can't he be a protector of the small? Why does he have to hurt them? What's going on in him that's led him there? And to wonder, what's dad doing to Charlie? Is dad doing to Charlie what Charlie did to me? Probably. And did I care about Charlie and his hurt and his pain? Not a bit. And when we grow up, we still don't care about Charlie. When someone mistreats us to occur to us, then what's going on in you? Why are you like this? Why are you the kind of person that does this? That doesn't come to us. We just want them to go away by any means necessary. And then we run into someone who says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And we know that, that word has to come from somewhere else. It has to. Only the divine man can teach that. That's got to come from the heart of God. And so we sit with Jesus on the mountain as He talks about His kingdom and the way that His world is going to be, and we encounter something that is so different from what goes on inside of me when I run into Charlie. And I hear the call, be different when Charlie comes at you. Not when he comes at you to smile or be good to you or to play tag, but when he comes at you with red face and his fists balled up. Throughout the sermon, Jesus up to this point has been giving an understanding of the law, an exposition of the law. He's been taking us through as the divine king. The king who's going to set up a kingdom and say societies are built around law and don't think I've come to get rid of God's law. I haven't. My kingdom is going to be guided by the will of God as it's revealed in the law of Moses. Absolutely. In fact, I'm the perfect expression of that. And so let me show you how to use the law of God. And so he starts with two of the Ten Commandments. You remember this? You know, don't, don't kill and don't commit adultery. And he unpacks those for us. And then he goes to some ancillary commandments like oaths and non-retaliation because the, the lex talion, those are not core of the, the covenant. The Ten Commandments are where the center of the covenant rises. And he shows us how he uses the law right there. And then he goes way outside the core and he says, this way of approaching the law, it works everywhere. Today he gets to the heart of the Jewish ethic, the very center of things, when he quotes from Leviticus. This thing that, that he will say when he's asked, what's the most important commandment? And he's not the only Jewish rabbi ever to do that. The Jewish rabbis had figured out, okay, what's the center of the covenant? Well, it's, it's love the Lord your God, and it's love people. That's what God has called us to be. And so Jesus is going to take us to that. And look with me here in, in verse 43. He says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor is found commanded in Leviticus. Leviticus 19 is where it shows up. Love your neighbor as yourself. That, that's commanded. Hate your enemy? Not so much there. That's not commanded. But if you will, <laughs> people aren't making a huge mistake to do that though. At least it wouldn't seem so at the time. The worship language of Israel, the inspired worship language of Israel is filled with what's called imprecatory psalms. Do you know what an imprecatory psalm is? 
An imprecation is a curse. And the Psalms, the, the songs that they sing, you know, I mean, when we get together, we sing, you know, just as I am, you know. Well, theirs was by the rivers of Babylon where we sat down and wept because they asked for a song of Zion. How can I sing a song of Zion in a strange land? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my spirit be pleasing to you, O God. Beautiful stuff, right? We have a song, uh, I think it's 444 in our songbook, that takes that and sets it to... Oddly, it leaves out the end of the psalm where it says, Happy is those who takes your babies, O Babylon, and smashes them against the stone. I mean, we don't sing that. I don't know why. It's right there. Beautiful thought, isn't it? They're singing about their enemies over and over and over again. So, to be fair to what the Pharisees are doing, which remember, Jesus is all along, He's arguing with the Pharisees and their understanding of the kingdom of God, and He's saying, that your righteousness has to be better than that. Well, they're singing their songs when they go to worship. So, to be fair to them, they're not stupid and crazy. The power of worship language to shape the heart is huge. But Jesus will point to the idea that they have made a big mistake because the hatred is always aimed at the bad behavior in God's heart, not the person. And so as long as there is contest and, and, and the need for deliverance from enemies, we need to sing, God, save me from them. And I leave what you do to them in your hands, O oh God. But the call of God is always to have this other kind of heart. Remember when Jesus would run into someone who says, well, okay, but who's my neighbor? He would tell them the story of the Good Samaritan. Because we want to put limits on love. We want to say, I want to know who I have to love because I know what love will ask of me. How do I know? Well, if you've had a kid, you know. Love is always inconvenient. It is always about getting up at 2 in the morning when you don't want to because your kid is screaming because your kid's stomach is smaller than yours and can't sleep through the night. But you don't want to get up, but you do. Why? Because love compels you. Love compels you to change that dirty diaper that went up their back, and it's really gross. I mean, you wouldn't handle this stuff normally, would you? Do you do that? I don't do that. I don't do that anymore. I'm beyond diapers. Yay. You know, but, uh, but I did. Why? For the sake of love. It's love that has you do the gross, disgusting, uncomfortable. It's love that has you give up what you would otherwise keep. It's love that moves you to, to be good to another person because it's what they need, even though it's not what you want. You do it anyway. Oh man, there's got to be a limit on that. Who is my neighbor? It's everybody. In Jesus' world, it's everybody. Here, he's going to say, well, okay, but everybody. I mean, there are limits, right? Nope. You've heard there was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Love Charlie. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for Charlie. Because the hurt that's going on in your enemy's life, the reason that they're an irritant to you is because they are less than what they are meant to be. And you are meant to be the agent of their salvation, so you love, and you have compassion, and you be good. Now, if you can love your enemy, who can you not love? 
I don't know. Jesus, this is an awful high calling. I mean, you have to understand, they hurt me. They mistreat me. They're being bad to me. And they, they tried to get me fired. They tried to steal my spouse. They were trying to seduce my spouse. How can I love that? Well, you don't love that. You love them. Because why did they do that? Obviously, they are less than what they were meant to be. Oh, man, but Jesus, in order to do that, I mean, who does that? Who can love people when they're actively hurting you? I mean, it's like, who can love people if they, if they do stuff like, like to your body? Like maybe take a nail or something and drive it through your wrist. Who can do that? He can do that. Here, Jesus is calling us to become like Him in our hearts. And if you really want to become like Jesus, if you really want to become like God, then pay attention to what God is like, which is what Jesus takes us to next. He causes the sun to shine on the wicked and the good, the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. You do this and you'll be sons of your Father. You want to be the children of God. This is how you get there. This is what it is to be that person, that, that wondrous person in heaven's child, because this is what he's like. Well, how do I know? You know, Jesus could have taken us to a ton of scripture to show us the loving nature of God. He could have shown us again and again from the book of Deuteronomy. I mean, he's gone all over the place to show us his heart, but he goes instead to creation. Why? Because this is universal. You don't have to know your Bible to know your weather patterns. He shows that creation is good to everyone and remember that God is causing it. God is in control of it. And if He decided to, He could set up creation in such a way that if you're good enough, you earn rain. And remember, sunshine and rain for us, that's got to do with whether or not I get to go on a hike. But in an ancient agrarian society, that's got to do with whether or not my kids eat. They say, you don't earn God's love. You don't earn God's care for your children. You don't earn God's care for you and your life and keeping you alive. He's doing it all the time. And when you fail, He does it. And when you get it right, He does it. And when you're a mess up and when you're hateful and when you're spiteful and when you're mean-hearted and when you let Him down, He does it. And when you bless and when you keep His ways and when you walk in what He's supposed to be, He does it because He just does it. Because He just loves you. Whoever you are and whatever you've done, God loves you and is good to you. That's the call. In fact, if you look back through everything that he said about the law, in all of it, it has come to have the heart of God. Not just come to do the things of God. Come to have the kind of heart that's inside of you that motivates the things of God. Be changed within. To become children of of your Father, that, that call to become sons of your Father in heaven echoes back through everything that He's had to say about the law. It's the purpose of our life with God. From God's perspective, He wants to make you His kid and to shape you into the family. He has adopted a street ruffian, all of us, a broken, messed up kid, brought into the royal family. And He begins our training and our shaping that we might be princes in His house. 
that we might become kings and queens of creation. That's what Jesus is doing in His kingdom. And so when you, when you live this way, when you have the enemy, you have the opportunity. When Charlie comes into your life, you have the chance to become like God. And he says, look, if you love those who love you, what reward are you going to get from that? Don't even sinners do that? And if you greet only those who greet you, what are you doing more than others? Don't even tax collectors do that? And what's he doing there? What reward will you get? What is the reward of God? Because we're going to run into the concept of reward a lot through the rest of the sermon. He'll bring it up again and again. What is the reward of God? Well, we often think of streets of gold and an address with a mailbox and a house that's paved with gold. That road, right? And that's the reward of God and the sweet by and by. When we die, we get to have pie. I'll stop. Uh, oh my, I can't. I can't. <laughs> the call... Of God, the reward of God is the nature of your heart. Look, if you had a really sweet house in heaven and a really nice Lamborghini there to leave rubber marks on the gold, but you had to walk around in that place with the heart that you've got now, with all of its fears and hungers and out of control desires and the mess that you are and all the pains that you carry, would it be heaven that you were living in? I think an awful lot of hell is generated not by the fires around us, but by the fires within that we didn't bother to help God put out. That we didn't participate in, in having them extinguished within us. Because they burn us out from the inside and they leave us empty husks. The call of God is to become not a husk, but a son. Not a husk, but a daughter. Become like Him on the inside. And the reward that God is giving to those who are willing to do the unexpected is to be adopted into His family. Christ gives the power to become the sons and the daughters of God. Oh man, I can't do this. And pray for those who persecute me while they're hurting me? Are you kidding? I can't do this. You're right, you can't. Alone. She's not alone. By the power of God at work within you, yes, you can. You can pray for those who persecute you. You can love the person who lets you down. You can care what happens to the person who says nasty things about you. They can matter to you. Your spouse's lover can matter to you. The person who betrays and hurts and mistreats and does awful wicked things to you, does not have to make you wicked. You can so love everyone, but you will need His heart beating in you to do it. Which is why He says, you be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now listen, 
He has given us a completely, throughout everything He said so far, a completely different understanding of God's perfection than the Pharisees have and than most Christians have, honestly. Because for most of us, the understanding of God's perfection has to do with His purity, His, his difference, his, his righteousness understood by never doing any moral wrong thing. Listen, he'll never do any moral wrong thing because of his perfection, but that's not what defines it. This is. What defines the perfection of God is his ability to love. Period. Because when you love somebody, you do no harm. Paul would say love fulfills the law. Because law, love does no harm to its neighbor and therefore love keeps the law. What makes us perfect is love. And so what he's saying is be perfect the way God is perfect. So what you, if you set your mind and your heart on being morally perfect and having that moral astringency define your perfection, then you won't love very well if someone else is not morally perfect. And mistreating you is certainly a moral imperfection, right? And so you won't love them back. If you won't give good for evil as long as you have that Understanding of God set in front of you. So Jesus has put a completely different understanding of God in front of us. When He says, you know, don't murder, but I say to you, don't be angry. Because that's not who your God is. Don't, don't commit adultery, but don't lust. Because your God doesn't set fire to His hungers that way. Don't uh, keep the oath, but I say, just tell the truth all the time because your God's always honest. Why? Because love is honest. Love tells the truth. Don't retaliate. Why? Because love goes, man, what's going on with you? You did that to me. But I'm going to respond to you with goodness. I'm going to love you back. Love is always caring for the other person. Love looks at Charlie and says, what's going on, Charlie? Even while your face is in the dirt, Charlie, why are you hurting You're hurting me, but why are you hurting? How do I love you? How do I find some... And you know what? Sometimes Charlie's like, nothing's hurting me. I'm just bigger than you. Shut up. Even then, you're disordered. I won't become that because I'm going to love you because God still does. I'm just going to pray for you. And while I do that, while I love not just the one who loves me, not just the one who gives me pleasure, because that's the way the world does it. Give me pleasure in my life and I'll love you back. But if you fail me, I'm out of here. No, I love you with the relentless, continuous, passionate love of God. And even if you fail me and let me down, in fact, especially then, I will continue to love you. Why? Because God does. And by God's power, by turning my heart to God and saying, God, help me out here. I don't want to do this. It hurts, and I don't want to love them. They're mean to me. God, did you see how they're mean to me? You realize He says, pray for those who persecute you, and that's how you will end up loving them? The person mistreating you, you turn to them in love. And you, I mean, you turn to God in prayer and you will end up turning to them in love because God will help you to do it because God is perfect and He does love them even though you don't. You be perfect with God. Let God's perfection settle into you. This is the way of the kingdom of God. because This is the King who told you so. He calls to us broken things and He says, hey, In this life, you're going to run into Charlie again and again. 
Charlie will wear a lot of different faces. Sometimes it'll be Charlene. But you're going to run into Charlie again and again. And when you do, love him. Care about him. Be good to him. Because if you can do that, you can love anybody. Love Charlie, and you'll be able to love Bob and Sue and Henry. Be good to all of them, and you'll become like God. And church, what do you want more than that? What's better than being like the very best person you know? Anything? I'd give up cheesecake for that. Wouldn't you? If you look into your heart today and you've got an enemy and there's no love in your heart, God is calling you. He's got the adoption papers signed. Come home. Let Him help you to forgive. Let Him help you to embrace love. And let Him help you to become a blessing even in the life of that person. Because you will be rewarded in the person that you are. If you look into yourself and you're like, I'm not doing well at this at all. Hey, we want to pray for you. It's prayer that does it. If you look into your life today and you got a great suffering in your life, but I haven't touched on it at all. Nothing I said really hit that, but it's, it's hurting. You're hurting. Well, this church wants to pray for you. We really do. We're a praying church. And if you'll let us, we'll care for you. And if you're not following Jesus Christ, there is no better day than right now today. Because Jesus calls us to the best way of life that there is, and it's the way of life that goes on forever. If this morning you're subject to the invitation of God, there's room right here. Why don't you come while we stand and sing?